0: This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan. A gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Last week we began a new summer series in the Old Testament Prophecies of Elijah in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 and following, and uh, this morning's scripture reading picks up exactly where we left off last week. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kereth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kereth, that is east of Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook and after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land then the word of the Lord came to him arise go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon and dwell there behold I have commanded a widow there to feed you So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour will not be spent, the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded in this passage that you are a God of great provision and care. You love us with an everlasting love and you have promised never to leave us or forsake us. We thank you, Lord, that we are on the receiving end of your love and grace. We've already been reminded today in the song that we just sang, that there is a great redeemer, that one that we call Jesus, the one who is your son, the one that you sent to die upon a cross and to rise again on the third day that we might have the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, we know that we are who we are because of your grace and your kindness and your provision. Lord, again, thank you for the very fact that we individually and we corporately as a church affirm that great reality and we claim the promise that you have given to us. Lord, it is a privilege to serve in this church. We thank you for the spiritual gifts that you have given to each and every one of us. As we find a place of service, as we look around and see people in need in ways that we can step up to the plate and serve, using the gifts and enablements that you've provided for us. Father, it is a privilege to do so. And our hearts go out to those who are hurting, who are grieving, who are in difficult situations. Uh, We ask your blessing and encouragement on those who are facing uncertainties in the days to come. Lord, nearly every week we are reminded of some new story a new event that we have heard that has that has impacted someone in our church family lord we lift them up to you we ask that your strong hand of encouragement support healing would be evident lord it's wonderful to anticipate what's coming uh, in these summer months we thank you for the kickoff that we're going to celebrate uh, uh, this afternoon, we just pray that it would be a wonderful time of reminder of our fellowship with one another, the joy that we have in the Lord, and as we anticipate all of these ministries and programs, some of them have already begun the grief seminar and then Vacation Bible School and, uh, and the summer camp program and all of the Bible studies that continue to flourish Father, thank you for all of those faithful men and women who serve, and may these ministries not merely be done for their own sake, but for the furtherance of your kingdom. Lord, we thank you again for the passage of Scripture that uh, we have to look at this morning. We pray as Pastor uh, David comes to share um, his message based on on this passage. Lord, speak to him. And through him, speak to our hearts. May your Holy Spirit fill us and encourage us and instruct us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
1: Good morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd encourage you to have them open to First Kings 17. It's always good to be able to follow along, see where we're at, especially when we're walking through stories like this. I think it's a good thing to have. So, just earlier this week, my four-year-old son, uh, I was sitting in the living room, and he came in with his first real splinter. And it was right in his thumb, and it was the kind that you could see it. It was nice and clear, a good little piece of it sticking out. It'd be really easy to grab with tweezers. And pull it out, no pain, no problem. Easy to do. So I said, Knox, I need you to sit here and hold still and give me your hand, and I'll take this out, no problem. So, of course, he screamed and kicked and cried and squirmed and did everything to keep me from being able to get anywhere near that thumb. And it took a little time. I asked him even, just, do you trust me? And he said, no, I don't trust you. (laughs) At least he was honest. So it took a while. Britt and I sat there with him, and eventually he calmed down, and he let us take it out, and just like I said, didn't hurt, no problem, came out easy. And we could have saved so much time and so much energy had he just trusted that I was going to keep my promise. Had he just obeyed the simple command that I gave him to sit there and hold still, that I would keep my promise. And that is what we see in this passage this morning, that God keeps his promises. Therefore, we can obey him without fear. God keeps his promises. Therefore, we can obey him without fear. Now last week, Pastor Aaron introduced us to this wicked king, Ahab, and just a little bit of a background, where we're at in the story of Israel, as is Israel has gone up and down and back and forth, they would serve God properly for a while, and then they would go off and serve other idols and other gods, to the point where, after King Solomon ruled, the nation split into two. So you have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel and Judah in the south. Now, Judah had a mix of good and bad kings over the time, uh, but Israel had nothing but bad kings. Every king that, that the northern kingdom of Israel had strayed away and led the people away from the one true God. And Ahab is the worst of the worst. Ahab marries this wicked woman, Jezebel, who is the daughter of a pagan king. And she brings in with her her false gods, Baal and Ashtaroth and these gods that now Ahab and Jezebel are leading the people who are supposed to worship only the one true God. They're worshiping all these other gods now. So now we get to to chapter 17 and Elijah comes on the scene. And unlike many of the prophets and characters that we have in scripture, we get no real background about Elijah. There's not an intro, there's nothing that says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and sent him to Ahab. Now he just shows up and gets right to business. In the very first verse where we meet Elijah, we read, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. He's saying, I am a prophet of the one true God. There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So the first time we see Elijah, he's standing before this wicked king Ahab and he calls him out. He pronounces judgment on Ahab and on Israel right away. He picks a fight right away. And that's going to be the theme that you're going to see throughout this series in the summer of, of this battle, so to speak, between Yahweh, the one true God, and Baal and Ahab and all these other false gods where God is proving that he is God, he is powerful, he is awesome, and Baal is nothing. So it starts off right in that way. Now the judgment that, that Elijah pronounces shouldn't have come as a surprise to Israel because God had promised back in Deuteronomy when he gave the law to Moses that if Israel would sin, if they walked away from God, drought would be one of the consequences. Their crops would suffer and therefore their food would suffer. They would struggle. So it's a fulfillment of God's promise to judge them when they strayed. It's also a direct assault on Baal. Baal was the god of of the nations, and he was a storm god, or a rain god. So he was the one that they would pray to when they wanted their crops to grow. So in pronouncing that there would be no rain, Elijah's saying, God is God, Baal is not, and I'm going to prove it. So Elijah shows up, picks a fight with Baal, picks a fight with Ahab, and then God sends him away immediately. He didn't do this out of fear, but he did this because it's actually a further form of judgment. Elijah is the true prophet of God. So by Elijah being sent away, being sent out into the wilderness, there's a second type of drought. There actually will be no true word of the Lord in this time while Elijah's away. There's a drought of rain and there's a drought of the word of the Lord, which is even worse for the people of God. So as we we head toward this big confrontation between Yahweh and Baal, we get this this little story. Chapter 17 uh, shows us how God cared for Elijah in the meantime. When things were relatively calm, while they're waiting, while this drought's going on, yes, there's struggle, there's difficulty, but it shows us God's gracious provision for his servant, for Elijah. Now, in this passage, there is a pattern and any time we see a word repeated or a phrase repeated or a pattern, we need to look closely at it because God shows us things in his scripture this way. He emphasizes those things that we need to learn. And the pattern in this passage is three times it happens. The word of the Lord is proclaimed. There is a responsive obedience. And then God fulfills his promise. Three times we see this happening and what this teaches us. The lesson that we need to learn is that God keeps his promises. Therefore, we can obey his command without fear. Now, when I say without fear, there's a a right kind of fear and a wrong kind of fear. The right kind of fear is to fear God, and that leads us to obey him. When I say without fear, I mean without fear that God might fail or that he might not come through or without fear of, of those outside, that anyone else could harm us outside of the will of God. That's what I mean when I say that we can obey without fear. And we can obey God without fear even when it feels like God forgot us. Look with me at verse 2. This is the first time in that cycle that we see the word of the Lord directly spoken. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Elijah just picked a fight with Ahab. Things are tense. And God says, all right, I want you to go out to the wilderness and be by this brook, and I'm going to send birds to feed you. Now, to any one of us, that sounds strange, right? We're not going to rely on ravens to bring us food. It's even stranger for Elijah because ravens were listed among those animals that were unclean. The Israelites were not allowed to eat ravens. So this is a very unlikely thing that God is calling Elijah to do. Yet, Elijah does it. And in this command, we see that God, he says that he has commanded the ravens to feed Elijah. That word commanded points to the providence of God. Providence, meaning that God is is absolutely sovereign, absolutely in control over everything. All of his creatures and all of their actions. He's saying, I'm going to show that I'm the God over the rain and I'm the God over these birds And he asks Elijah to believe, to trust him and obey. And Elijah does that. Verse 5 says that he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Now this is important because Elijah's obeying here in a circumstance that of all the things that he's going to have to do in his ministry, this one's relatively easy. Go out by this brook and just wait and trust that I'm going to provide for you. It's a fairly simple thing and Elijah obeys. And this is important because as we go further into the story, God is going to put Elijah in situations where he has to trust God when the stakes are much higher that 's a principle all through scripture that when we 're faithful, we have to be faithful in the little things, trust God in the little things so that we will be prepared when the bigger things come. if we can 't obey and trust God to keep His promises when things are going well, when in, in the smaller, seemingly easier things, how can we think that we 're going to trust him when things are more difficult? So Elijah goes and he did what the Lord said, and then to complete our cycle. God fulfills his promises. It says that morning and evening, the ravens brought him bread and meat. He was well provided for. Everything is happily ever after, and the story ends. No. I don't know about you, but I love stories that have a twist, whether it's a movie, a book. I like when things seem like they're going well, and then there's a monkey wrench thrown into it, and things get harder all of a sudden, and that's exactly what happens here. Elijah is there being provided for by God, and then over time, the brook dries up. Now Elijah has no more water. The ravens are still coming, but we can live an awful lot longer without food than we can without water. He needs this water. So if we were in that situation, I imagine that we would start asking, what happened? I did what you said. Did God fail? Did God forget about me? Yet that's not what had happened. The reality is that Israel was experiencing a drought, and that drought affected even Elijah. Just because God had called him to do something doesn't mean that he was going to be completely removed from the effects of what is going on in the world. That is the same for us today. Christians experienced COVID just like everyone else. Many of us got sick. Some died. We were all locked up in our houses for a while. Every one of us, if you drive a car, you're paying over $5 a gallon for gas. We don't get exempted from difficulties and struggles just because we're Christians. We live in a fallen world. Therefore, we will feel some of the effects and some of the struggle that the rest of the world feels. God promised that he would provide for Elijah and God has promised that he will provide for us, that he will give us what we need. But that doesn't mean that we're going to be removed from the struggle. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. It is easy for us to obey. It's easy for do the, to do the things that we know that we're supposed to do when everything's going great. But how do we respond when it seems like the provision is dried up? How do we respond when it feels like maybe God forgot about us? Everything was going great for a while, and then it crashed, and everything got hard. And we often feel like God forgot about us. We feel alone. And we live in a culture that places all this emphasis on how you feel. you got to follow your heart. Be who you are. Your feelings matter, and... I'm not saying that how we feel or our emotions don't matter. But what I am saying is that scripture does not place the emphasis on how we feel. Scripture places the emphasis on the word of God. On what is true. Our obedience cannot be based on how we feel. Our obedience has to be based on the objective word of the Lord. Now, we're in a different situation than Elijah. We are not prophets like Elijah was. We don't have God speaking audibly to us, telling us exactly what to do. But we do have the word of God. We have the scriptures. And I would argue that this puts us in an even better situation. Because at any time, we can go pick up this and we can learn what the will of the Lord is. No, he doesn't tell us which car you should buy or which school you should send your kids to, but he does tell us how we can please God and how we can obey God. It's absolutely clear that our job as Christians is to is to love the Lord with all our heart and soul and mind, to love our neighbor as ourselves. It is clear from scripture that we are called to be daily, putting our sin to death. It is clear that we are to raise our children to love and know the Lord. Those things that we are called to do are absolutely clear. And that means that we must, we can, we must obey the word of God, even when it feels like God's forgotten about us, even when it doesn't feel right. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses is passing the torch to Joshua. And in verse 8, he says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. New Testament writers use that same verse, so it applies to all Christians. God will not leave us. He will not forsake us. No matter how we feel, we can trust that God will fulfill his promises. Therefore, we can obey Without fear. So we can obey God without fear even when we feel that he's forgotten us. And we can obey God without fear even when it seems dangerous. So our next cycle. God doesn't leave Elijah without water. He's by this brook that's now dried up. So he, he gives him the next command. He instructs him to do something else. Uh, look at verse 8 with me. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This is our second time. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So this is actually an even more difficult and a stranger request than having ravens feed him. Because Zarephath is in the heart of Baal worshiper country. He's sending him now into enemy territory. By this brook, it was pretty safe and pretty calm. Now he's saying, I want you to go into enemy territory. If you remember Jezebel, she's the wicked queen, the wife of Ahab. Her father is the king over this area, over Sidon. Her father's name is Ethbaal, which means Baal is alive. So God is sending Elijah into the heart of enemy territory. And further than that, He says, when you get there, I have commanded a widow to feed you. Notice how he says, just like he had commanded the ravens to feed him, he's commanded this widow to feed him. Now, widows in that day couldn't just go and get support from anywhere. A widow was basically synonymous with being poor and destitute. This widow, as we see in the story, barely had enough to provide for herself, yet God is saying that he's going to provide for Elijah through this widow. This is as if today God were to say, okay, I know you just lost your job. Your credit cards are maxed out. You are ineligible for any assistance from the state. Therefore, I want you to move, get on a plane and move to North Korea. When you get there, there's a homeless woman who is going to provide for you. Who's ready to go do that? No, but this is what God is calling Elijah to do. And look what he does. He arose and went to Zarephath. We don't hear that Elijah complains, that he trembles in fear. We hear that he just went. He trusted God. And once again, God provided. The minute that Elijah arrives at the gates of that city, he sees the widow gathering sticks. And we've got to go a little bit further into the story to see exactly how God provides through this widow. But at the very moment he arrives, he sees the widow and he knows that is the woman that God has commanded to provide for me. And he sees God's provision right there. Now, when Elijah had to leave the brook, he had a choice. When God called him, when God told him to go into enemy territory, this scary place where it seems dangerous, he could have said yes, as he did, or he could have tried to find his own way. He could have followed his own wisdom. He could have gone for something more comfortable and said, no, forget this. The the raven thing was enough, but I'm not going there. But he didn't. Now, once again, we are not Old Testament prophets. God does not speak to us audibly, but God has given us his word. And every single day we are going to be faced with choices are we going to obey the word of the Lord? Are we going to do what God has commanded us as his people? Or are we going to do what's comfortable? Are we going to do what's not dangerous? Because we will face danger if we, fa- if we follow the word of the Lord. Now most of us, maybe none of us, are going to be asked to get on a plane to North Korea. Or anything remotely similar to that. So you ask, what kind of danger might we possibly face? Well, we are told in scripture that we will be persecuted, that we will be hated for our connection with Christ. Just this last week, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, a baseball team in Tampa Bay, uh, they had their pride night. And all of the, the team members were supposed to wear their pride logos on their uniforms. Yet there were five men who chose not to do that. And When asked why not, they said We're Christians. We believe that the Bible commands us not to do that. We believe that this is something that Jesus would not want us to do. And they didn't do it in a hateful way. They didn't do it in a rude way. They just simply stood on their convictions. And some of the responses on social media are shocking. To say, how dare they? What hateful people. Church, this is going to happen to us more and more if we are willing to stand boldly on what the word of God says. God sent Elijah into enemy territory. Guess what? We live in enemy territory. We live in a world that is not neutral to what the Bible teaches. We live in a world that is opposed to what the Bible teaches. We live in a world that is opposed to God. So we dare not think that we're going to go through this life without having to make any difficult choices. Without having to face that kind of danger. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If that happens, praise God because we're identified with our Lord. And as God provided, He fulfilled His promise, He provided for Elijah in the midst of his enemies, we can be sure that He will do that for us as well. Therefore, we can obey God without fear, even if He leads us into dangerous places, things that seem scary. And the last thing is that we can obey God without fear, and we can invite others to do the same thing. See, we've seen God command Elijah. We've seen Elijah obey. We've seen God provide for him. But what is fascinating about this passage is God doesn't stop at providing for Elijah. No, he offers the same opportunity to the widow. He brings someone else in. Remember, Elijah is now in Zarephath. This is not Uh, This is not an Israelite woman. This is a pagan woman that God is inviting to trust him. Look with me at verse 10. So Elijah rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a woman was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. And here's where we hear the word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. This woman was hopeless. She was ready to die. She was ready to give up. And this crazy looking foreigner shows up and says, yep, I know that that's about to happen, but first, can you make me something? What nerve, right? Any of us would think, what are you thinking, Elijah? But once again, God had told Elijah that he has commanded this woman to provide for him. And Elijah trusted God. He trusted that he would fulfill his promise. And look in verse 15 and see what she did. And she went and did as Elijah said. She went and did it. She obeyed. Why? Why would she do that? It's because God had commanded her. Just as he had commanded the ravens, God had commanded this woman. God had commanded this widow. In God's providence, he prepares people and makes, puts people in the situation where they can obey. He works in our hearts to bring us to where we can obey. And that's exactly what he did with this widow. He was preparing her to obey the word of the Lord. Now, I don't know at this point if we can say yet that she's a believer. I do believe she gets there. In verse 12, she says to Elijah, uh, as your God lives, not my God. But we can see that the spirit is working in her, drawing her, causing her to obey. None of us can obey without the spirit's help. So she obeys and God provides for her. God provides for Elijah who has obeyed. God provides for this widow who has obeyed the word of the Lord. And not just once did he provide for them, but every single day for three and a half years that this drought went. Every time that they looked at that jug of oil and that jar of flour, they would be reminded of God's providential care, of God's love, of the fact that God fulfills his promises. Church, we have those same kinds of reminders today. Every time we gather under the word of the Lord and we see what Christ has done for us, every time we partake of the Lord's Supper together, every time we get to witness a baptism and we we are reminded of our own baptism and the way that God has been faithful to us, we have those same kinds of reminders if we would just see them. God is faithful to forgive Or to fulfill his promises. And just like God was preparing that widow, God's preparing people today. God is drawing people to himself. We live in enemy territory. We live in a place where many are opposed to the scripture, opposed to what the Bible teaches. Yet today God is at work in people's hearts. Just like he was then. For us, that means that we can go out and boldly and confidently and without fear proclaim the author offer of salvation through Jesus Christ to anyone who will listen. Yes, many will reject us. Many will reject God. But those who God is working in their hearts, when he is softening their hearts, they will respond in faith. They will respond in obedience. And then we can rejoice together that God is fulfilling his promises. Church, God fulfills his promises so we can obey without fear. Now, from Old Testament to New, God has always called his people to obedience. He gave us the law. He showed us what his standard was. And that has always been the expectation that we would obey. Yet we know that we fail. Every one of us fears Rather than trusting God, every one of us occasionally will choose our own path instead of obeying the word of the Lord. And because of that, Jesus came to obey perfectly where we couldn't. Jesus fulfilled every aspect of the law. Jesus obeyed where we fail. Even Elijah, this great man of faith, when we get a little bit further into the story, we're going to see that he runs off and he hides from Jezebel in fear. Yet Jesus never did. Jesus never wavered. And he obeyed in exactly each one of these ways that we're called to obey. We're called to obey even when it seems like God has forgotten about us. And we read that Jesus on the cross cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? But when he does that, he's quoting Psalms. He's quoting David. He's identifying with humanity that he came to save. Acknowledging that he understands, he feels, he felt that loneliness, that abandonment. He understands that we often feel like that, yet that didn't stop him from obeying. He knew that his father would not leave him or forsake him. He knew that the father would fulfill his promise, so he obeyed. We're called to obey even when it seems dangerous. And Jesus knew exactly what he was marching toward when he walked into Jerusalem. He knew that he was going to his death, he knew that he would suffer and die. Yet he went. He didn't waver. He trusted that God would fulfill his promise. And he did. Our Lord has risen and is now seated in glory at the right hand of the Father. Unimaginable glory. He has an inheritance beyond what we can imagine. God fulfilled his promise to his son. And we can be confident that he'll do the same for us. And just as we can confidently invite others to follow, to obey the word of the Lord, Jesus did the same thing. He didn't keep the good news of the kingdom to himself. Rather, he went out and he invited sinners. He invited tax collectors. He invited prostitutes. He even invited a Samaritan woman to trust in him. That's significant because Samaria is where King Ahab was the king. It all ties back, all going back. To how God has invited people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation to worship him. And God is fulfilling that. Jesus knew that. So he invited others to come into the kingdom to put their faith in him. And we can do the same thing. We are called to obedience to the word of the Lord. That doesn't change. Yet that obedience is never, ever so that we can earn our salvation, so that we can earn our standing before God. That obedience is always because Jesus Christ has already obeyed perfectly in every area where we fail for us. So now we can obey without fear, out of gratitude for what he has already done for us. The very beginning of Scripture When man fell into sin, God promised that he would send a redeemer, someone to set things right, to repair what had been broken. And we see in Jesus that he has fulfilled that. He fulfilled that promise. He has fulfilled every promise he has ever made. He will fulfill the promises that he has made for us. God keeps his promises. Therefore, we can obey him. We can obey the word of the Lord. Without fear. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these many, many reminders that we have of your faithfulness. How though we may not always be able to see how you're working out your plan. And you often use means that we would never think that you would use. You do. You care for us. You provide for us. You've done so in the most important way when you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be reconciled to you. And you do so in the smallest ways as well. Providing for our needs day by day. You protect us. You guard us. You care for us. We thank you, Lord. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust you. Help us to uh, live without fear, because we know that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.